As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growlin' Polydor Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic with you on Wednesday here. Jay, it's good to be back. Thank you for uh, sitting in the hot seat last week. Shout out to uh, Skinny, Richard Skinner from Local 12, and of course, Mo for coming on and joining was good i enjoyed it i enjoyed the show a lot listen to it with my dad on our drive back <laughs> from french lick and uh i got some we have some comments that i yeah. need to relay to mo in particular when he comes on later in this show about his thoughts about our golf games uh but that's neither here neither here nor there thanks again for doing the show it was good to get a week away yeah, it's good to have you back. I I mentioned this to you, the anxiety I had to try to put a show together all by <laughs> myself. And I, I, our good friend from Bengals UK, Paul Hirons, I talked to him about it. It was uh, last year you took that break in the middle of the season and we we still ended up recording something ahead of time and then ran that. And I didn't have to quite do as much by myself. So, um, yeah, it's there's a reason that, that this works with two of us, and I I, yeah. I look forward to, to getting back on that regular schedule. No doubt, and uh, and so there, there's there's a, there's some stuff to get to today. A little bit more yeah. than no more than there has been, Jay. We yeah. we have not look. It's still shorts and <laughs> uh, jersey tops, and but no more bucket hats. Yeah. Really, I think I maybe I spotted one since yeah, but the helmets, Jay. Yeah helmets and a little bit of dare i say seven on seven it happened for like 10 15 minutes it was amazing i took notes i did too now i mean you know because because what we have been seeing has been next to nothing up to this point but they've now entered phase three one of the better phases of all the phases uh of the of the uh, program, which means more interaction, more stuff where you can see that seven on seven guys and helmets. You can do a little bit more. Um, it's still far, far, far cry from training camp or anything like that, and they're still treating it that way. However, we're into the maybe six practices that they scheduled uh, to do in where you can actually do some real football. It, it I, I'm wondering. Next week for minicamp, do do we need to go back to the bridge? Because I don't know if they did it intentionally, 
Maybe they did. It was very hard to see the seven on sevens. I mean, they were all the way at the other end. All the players that weren't taking part were standing in front of us. You and I were walking back and forth, trying to figure out where the best vantage point was. And there really wasn't one. You had to kind of look around people. But we you, we did get a little glimpse. But I'm, I'm thinking maybe the bridge would give us a better viewpoint. Oh, bring back Phil the bridge. There were some bridge. Shout sure. out to those on the bridge yesterday. There were some Bridgertons. Yeah. Good for them. Good to see him. Maybe maybe Jay and I will be joining you next week uh, during the mini camp practices. It's currently scheduled to be a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but it has been known. I'm putting long odds on Thursday actually being pulled off in full capacity um, because that really never has been the case. Uh, but we'll see. So let's do this. We're, we're going to go through some, a few OTA takeaways that we have. And, and again, thank you for everybody that's sending your questions. We're going to dive through some of your questions. Some of it ties into things that we've seen, and some of it is just, look, this time of year, we want to be here for you. I'm not going to say we're tapped out, but there's not a whole lot of new for us to really go through with you. So we just want to talk through what you want to talk through. So keep sending your questions in when you have them. We'll keep getting them. We're not getting to all of them. We're still working on some of them. I know some of you have sent in a few multiple times. I haven't been able to get to yet because we just don't have quite the answer yet on some of them. Um, but let's start with some quick, some takeaways that we have before uh, we we get to bring in Mo in here in a little bit. Let's let's start with you, Jay. Do you have one off the top? I've got, I've got five here. Some oh, of them wow. are, some of them are bold. No, some of them are not bold. Some of them are very, <laughs> very obvious and simple. Some are just um, small observations. What do you got? Yeah. Um, the, well, in addition to the one that I mentioned last week with Skinny about really being impressed with Trevor Simeon's arm and um, the way he was throwing the ball, yesterday, Irv Smith really stood out to me. I mean, he made a couple couple catches that that weren't easy, and it it was kind of – uncharacteristically off target by Joe Burrow. And a lot of that goes back to the fact that they just haven't been doing any. This was in seven on seven. It was the first time we've seen them do that. Uh, one was kind of behind and, and low and Irv made a nice adjustment to catch. One was uh, up the seam and it was high and he went up and caught the ball. It was, it was impressive. Um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's seven on sevens in shorts, but I, I thought that was good to see. We, we, you're not really sure what you're getting in that guy. And that was, that was a good starting sign. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you want to go one at a time here. I, I well here, I'll, I'll say this. Yeah. Uh, I now have four. Uh, cause <laughs> I, <laughs> well, I thought that was the most obvious thing yeah. from yesterday, actually, mm. you know, I mean, again, it w- there was limited seven on seven. Most of the work that was being done was either at walkthrough speed um, or individually and still off in their own sides. But they did come together for some seven on seven towards the end. And and, and that he was the most notable. I thought, yeah, a couple of nice catches turning the other way. Working up those seams, I mean, I feel like that's something that we've looked for. Um, potentially when you're talking about, okay, I know we got a question about Irv Smith in comparison to Hayden Hurst. I, they're different types, but I think you saw a little bit more of that, um, you, you know, of that speed up the seam type stuff. I think that they want to utilize with Irv Smith and type of player he can be. I, I think the arrow is up on Irv Smith. I think that's been the thought since the beginning. I think they targeted him for a reason. I think he has an injury history. And, and to me, when healthy, 
I think you're going to like Irv Smith. And I think he, what we, the little bit that we saw yesterday sort of was verification of that in some ways of, yeah, that's, that's what that guy should look like. He looks different than some of the other guys. He does some things we haven't seen that position do here recently. I don't think that's going to be a problem. It's going to be a matter of him staying healthy, something that he's just had some trouble doing, but still good to see him play. I think the way that he did, it was my number one takeaway. I thought from what we watched yesterday, Um, I'll drop one in now. Um, A lot of understandably, you know, them working on things that they leaned into last year. That was offensively shotgun play action RPO stuff, stuff that they really grew as the season went on last year. And now with a full off season, I think to tweak implement lean a little bit further into something that was, they saw successful for them. Um, you saw more work in that direction where it seemed like everything they were doing um, in, in their team was very, oriented into those things um i know there's a question about the downhill run game we got and and how if we're gonna see them start from training camp yeah i mean i think they realize gap scheme downhill shotgun runs is who they are i mean that's who their personnel is it's who it's 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 their style um it works for them it works for this line group it works for burrow it works for everybody so you see i think you see them building on that right now and and that's expected, right? That's that's what you would think they would do is take something that you really saw become a feature and then say, okay, what can we do off that now? And I think you're starting to see them try to grow that a little bit right now. Yeah. Um, if if I were to add another one, and it kind of goes along with the run game, with the O-line, it's, it, was, it was a limited su- uh, sample size, obviously. It was just a short session of seven on sevens, but they – they did some mixing and matching on defense, but on on offense, it, it was all Jackson Carmen at right tackle. If sure. Cody Ford is really in this mix, uh, we didn't see it yesterday. And now again, you, you're expecting Jonah to come in next week. Maybe that's where you start seeing a a little bit of a a platoon to see you know work those guys in and, and see them against the the ones. And it's it's again, it's not training camp. It, it's going to be really. Uh, maybe probably not even 11s, sevens is all you're going to see. So the O line's not even out there. But when they, when they were running on air, when they were running 11s, it was all Jackson Carmen. And um, I, I think that that's not a huge surprise, but I did. I wondered how much how much of a shot Cody Ford was going to have at that job, and even Hakeem Adeniji. And it, it right now, you know, if, if anything were to go south or sideways with Jonah, it, it feels like that that's going to be Jackson's job to lose. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Cody Ford and Akeem Adenji have a shot at all. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, yeah. there's just that they've seen that show is out there. That tape exists. The tape that doesn't exist is Jackson Carmen taking over the job and showing some real ability to do it, or Jonah Williams um, playing right tackle, um, or maybe or Lel Collins potentially being healthy and being able to hold it yeah. down in some capacity. Still, I think is is out there as a thought. Um, and so, uh, for me, I think those guys will be competing for a roster spot. Those guys will be competing to stick around, um, but they want to give every rep possible to the real competitors in that, and that's Jackson and Jonah. Hmm. Um, and so, I I fully expect to continue to see that through camp. Uh, you know, I, I think that's where that thing's going to land, and that'll be interesting to watch next week. 
expectation is Jonah Williams will return. We've seen Instagram videos of him doing big lifts, and that seems very impressive if you're into such things like Instagram workouts. Um, but it, he at least appears to be healthy through that for whatever you, you want to make of it. Um, I'll be interested to see what happens with him next week. What's his participation level? Does, mm-hmm. does he get in there immediately at right tackle? How's he look doing it? That's a big project. It's an important project. And um, it's their first little taste of it is going to come in mini camps. So that'll be something to watch um, next week. Um, I, I just was going to say uh, a really obvious one. Uh, Evan McPherson, Jamar Chase, still good. Jamar we'll did have a drop. Jamar did have a drop, but he still had plenty of times where it was just like, yes. okay, throw the ball. There's Jamar just working yeah. himself open on the edge and and making a play. And so, yeah, Jamar Chase still good. Uh, Evan McPherson drilling everything. I think they had him out mm-hmm. there a bunch. And and uh, no issues from new, from snapper Tanner Hudson, yeah. who was in for Cal Adamitis um, as they worked, they worked that. So for those that are still have nightmares about the opener against <laughs> Pittsburgh last year, Backup long snapper Tanner Hudson, if he's still around on the team uh, next year. He will um, be. Getting some work in during this period of time. Cal Adamice <laughs> had a, has a boot on his foot still. I think the expectation is he'll be back before too long. But um, uh, yeah, getting some work with the backup long snappers. We're in backup long snacker, snapper anal- analyzation season. S-Z-N, <laughs> capital S-Z-N on that, right? I think that's yeah. where we're at. Yeah, I mean, Evan drilling those two with a new snapper and a new holder half oh. the time because Brad Robbins was it back there. And, you know, we we a lot of times in camp when they do kicking competitions, we're, we're off to the side. We're on the sideline at more so you can judge what the exact distance was um, as opposed to whether it was good or not, because they have guys that stand under the uprights and signal good or not. It would have been easy yesterday. I mean, not only did Evan make all six of his field goals, like none of them were even they were. If you would put an upright in the middle of the of the the, the you know, like a, a three pronged fork, he would have hit those. It was they were all just right down the middle. Plenty of leg. I don't know how far he was kicking from because, like I said, we were behind the the goalpost and they were way back on the other side. But um, yeah, it was we we were standing kind of. If if he would have hit the right upright or been around there, we might have been able to catch the ball. We were um, that close and never ever did a ball come close to us. It was right down the middle, right past us. And the, the guy shagging them just all, it was like he was kicking directly to him. They were just perfect yeah. kicks. Um, Jay, do you have another one? Um, it gets you know, thin. I, I do. I do. I thought it was interesting because, you know, we haven't seen Cheeto out there that much and yeah. he should be farther ahead on his rehab uh, with his being a couple months ahead of LC's, but, but LC's been out there a lot. And not been able to do anything. And I don't know, you know, I, I wrote about this today about the the relationships and how they're they're focusing on on the off the field relationships ships as much as they are the scheme right now this spring on that O line. And, you know, I, I just I thought that was interesting that he's not able to really participate. And I don't remember even seeing him do any kind of side rehab work yesterday. He was just out there to to be a part of the group. Um, and that that struck me because there are guys that that um you know, are like Cheeto and nothing against Cheeto that he's, he's probably working his ass off inside, but I just thought that was notable that, that LC was out there with the entire group, the entire time engaged. Yeah. And we were, you know, we were joking. I was like, Oh man, cause you were going over, I think you were going to try to get pictures of like, uh, 
of uh, what Orlando Brown and Cordell Volson together, or the drills, yeah. the drills and the, I was like, well, make bump. sure you get LC engaged here, man. He was like, <laughs> he's got his hands on his knees, he's leaning into some drill where they're like touching volleyballs or something, and it's like, uh, man, loving it, right? Or I don't, I don't know. I often wonder though, is like, is that a show for us? Like, does that happen mm-hmm. on Monday when we're not here? Uh, does that happen, or is is it is it just you know? I, I you know, I hope. Elsie gets better and I and I've had, you know, a lot of really interesting conversations um about him and that position and philosophy going forward as I kind of work on some other stories um and and lean lean further and further towards, you know, you know. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where if what has killed you in the playoffs the last couple years has been offensive line depth. Maybe you do think about hanging around with, with LC and Jonah and Jackson Carmen and just as a, just in case you're certainly waiting till the last possible second to be making any decisions there. And you got to see where everybody's at. But I do think that there's a, there's, there's, there's a lot of dominoes to fall here. I, you know, I want. I'll get into the borough. We have. We're obviously legally obligated to talk about the borough contract at some point here. We will do that in Q and A. But I think we're still waiting on that domino. I think to set forth what will be a lot of dominoes um, that are that are going to come from that. But that it just feels like the one. You've seen that meme, right? Where it's like, uh, where it's a, uh, it's the guy, the stick figure pushing the tiny domino and they all, and it leads its way up to a giant one. And you always say what the first thing was. And then you say what the last thing was. My favorite was the bench. Andy Dalton on his birthday is the first domino. And then <laughs> Bengals in Super Bowl is the last one. Right. Uh, but, but, but that's what it, I, I feel like that's really what it is. Except uh, burrow it would go the other way. You'd be pushing the giant domino that is burrow and it would just slam all the <laughs> other ones down to make them all move. Uh, that's uh, where we're at. That outside of that, um, um, I, I don't have a whole lot. I, I'm gonna do it. I'm I, actually. I should wait. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait till Mo comes on to tell him actually what my last takeaway is because it's about Andre Yoshivash. <laughs> and I want to make sure I get him all fired up for all the calls he'll get the the moment that we tweet out a video or mention his name to get his favorite thing going. That you're not gonna believe how Yoshivash slash Auden Tate slash James Wright looked. In shorts. So I'll, I'll save that. I'm going to save Yoshibash for when we bring him on. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
I want to get to so when we asked when I we put out something for questions, I'm gonna write a mailbag this week and ask some more stuff. Um there were a bunch that came in in sort of the same area. And so I want to just kind of do a dive real quick before uh, we get to Mo here on that area. I'm going to read through all of these questions, and then we're going to sift through the damage, okay? So bear with me, okay? The first one from, uh, let's see, at Brian A. Crane, if the Bengals only keep two of Reader, Wilson, or Hendrickson, which two do they keep? Seems like all three might get similar money on the open market. Then at Mr. K. Cincy. What is with this thought of the team moving on from Trey Hendrickson after 2023? 22 sacks in two years among the leaders and pressures. He's been on a bargain contract and comes up clutch in big moments, plays hurt, makes zero sense. With no this from at JRQ15, with no DJ Reader replacement on the roster at the moment. Is he the most important free agent to be with? With the amount of thin, with the thin amount of interior defensive linemen they have, how much does him turning thirty going into a third contract matter here? If this from uh, S liked nine twenty six, if the Bengals are going to sign someone to a third contract or extension, who's most likely to get it? Cheeto Boyd Hendrickson or Reader? These all fall in the same bucket, Jay. Mm. And third contract talk. Now Hendrickson is not up next year so that's an important thing to remember now we get into cheeto boyd reader they all are in the last years of their deal they all would need to be signed past really their age 30 season um i think they'll all still get pretty decent money on a free agent market i think these the analysis in these questions is right i i think it's the spot the Bengals are in in the act of draft develop retain replenish is kind of the fourth uh, part of this now because you you've got to let you you let the guys go into their thirties, move on, and you replenish with draft picks on the bottom, and you do that everywhere, and you're constantly doing that cycle. That's how you keep a young team, you keep an energetic team, you avoid some of the pitfalls of the old teams that we've seen, where you know you're holding on too long. Let's. Start with the Hendrickson piece here. Um, look, Mr. K. Cincy, your disdain is correct. Why would you do this? We've been talking about how this is one of the best contracts the Bengals have. They went in early on Trey Hendrickson and it paid off for him. So why on earth, Paul, would you do this? Why would you bring this up? that you would let go of Trey Hendrickson after this year. Look, I'm not doing this. This isn't me. Trey's a fine, nice guy. He's a hell of a player. And he has been a bargain. And he has played great. You are not paying for someone who has played great. You're paying for someone who will play great. My point is, this is a contract year for Trey Hendrickson because next year is basically a team option. Mm. He is the, the biggest non-borough cap number next year at 17.5. It's a big number. Granted, that's a decent, that's not a bad number when you talk about edge, premier edge rushers, but will they view him as a premier edge rusher 
at this point next season. Only two and a half in dead money, no roster bonus next year for Trey Hendrickson. It's basically saving $15 million on the cap. Boom, here you go. And when you're having to pay other guys and you're talking about you are having to obey the cap to some extent, part of it is are you keeping Trey Hendrickson for his age 30 season? An edge rusher. When you just drafted an edge rusher with the first round pick, I mean, look, it's right there. They just took Miles Murphy in the first round. You know, if Hendrickson crushes it this year, Jay, I'm sure they would say, you know what? We'll take the 17 and a half cap hit and we can have this deep crew of pass rushers and Osai and Murphy and Hendrickson and keep Hubbard rolling and, and do it. But if Hendrickson's okay or there's problems or there's more injuries he's played through injuries but he's had Mm -hmm. injuries then it's something that's right there so it's this is not me kicking Trey Hendrickson to the curb it's the numbers it's the Mm -hmm. pick they it's all right there for you it's the age the other thing is if if he if he plays so great this year where the Bengals would feel like yeah they have to keep him well then does that lead to are we talking this time next year about Trey Hendrickson not reporting and possibly holding out and no wanting question. a new deal? I no mean, question. he knows he, he's he's played above what he's been paid so far. And if he does it again this year, I, I could see him wanting a new contract. And then maybe that's where the the impasse happens and they they let him go or they trade him. Um, but, yeah, there's it sounds crazy, but you're right. It's it's the numbers. It's and, and if Miles Murphy is everything they expect him to be, it's it's. It just goes back to that Bengals template of drafting the guy the year before you need him and, um, you know, just restocking that position. And you still got Sam Hubbard around for a couple more years. And then if if the the inside guys start coming along, it's just it, I, it's not a lot of people look at it like fantasy football and they kind of put the, the, the salary numbers off to the side. And they're just going on production. And that's you clearly can't do that uh, here. So. I don't know if, if you say, say 15, let's say, let's say 13 sacks this year and he's in the top 10 in pressures. What percentage do you put on them keeping it or him playing for the Bengals next year? Pretty good. Hmm. I don't think they want to get rid of that. I mean, they want no. to win every year and it's a bar that production at 17 and a half is still a bargain from that position if you know you're getting it but i don't you know you you've got that's got to be what it is i mean and what have we seen from miles murphy and joseph osai and sam i mean what i just think there's a lot of variables involved and they have options Hmm. and an obvious option is and you mentioned you know hendrickson not being happy with his deal next year potentially maybe this year yeah (laughs) i mean if you if you felt like you had played this well and you're in a position to have to go play for your supper this year. I'm like, screw that, man. And you're thinking you're looking at that saying, I'm going to have to go get another bite at the apple for my age 31 season. Screw that. I want a new deal now. Or whatever. Like, that's something that his agent should be trying to do. He should be trying to renegotiate. He should be trying to extend. He should be trying to get more guaranteed money. Hendrickson has some leverage in in the fact that he is all expectations are for him to again this year be a damn good pass rusher 
but the Bengals have leveraged against that too hmm. with their picks and, and stocking up that room a little bit. Just something to keep in mind when when people talk about oh they're focused on taking with them taking Miles Murphy in the first round. Um, that does apply pressure. Always follow the picks. Always follow the money in the picks, man. And it'll tell you. Uh, it'll tell you a story. Um, so off of that, you know, DJ Reader is a part of this conversation. Um, you know as well as I do, Jay. You know, when we feel like we can speak the truth about what has made this team great, DJ Reader is in the first couple of breaths. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he has been one of the most valuable players on this team. I I think he is an absolute elite defensive tackle. He changes the math for Luana Rumo. And boy, do you see the difference when he's not out there? Notable last year. You know, I mean, we saw that. Um and he's so valuable. Um, he is in the last year of his contract. And they have not f- put anyone else in the pipeline, which is notable because they've really done that almost everywhere else. Um, that said, you know, the idea that DJ Reader is going to get a contract from the Bengals for his age 30 and 31 season is probably unrealistic for a couple of reasons. Not that they don't love him. Not that he's not impactful. They just don't do it. Think Von Bell. You know, Mm -hmm. think any of these guys that they've let go that have been culture guys that have been critical to their, to their future, you know, that they're just not going to do this third contract thing. They're going to continue to try to replenish. It's interesting that they haven't. It maybe feels like a whiff of the off season that they haven't put anybody else in the mix there really for the future. But um, I do think it's something that doesn't seem like par- partially because I think we are still going to get paid. Look at the defensive tackle market right now. It's bananas. They have spiked. And you're seeing guys get a ton of money there. And I would imagine DJ Reader, even for his older, you know, if he hits free agency, even for an older season, is going to get a ton of money too. That combination, you know, makes it hard. I think that they would love to probably find a way to re-up for a year or two, add on, Mm -hmm. extend him before the season started. I just don't know if he would do that because I think he will get paid more uh, if he hits the open market. Or maybe he sees, look, age 29 season here. I'm coming off the best of my career, maybe. Maybe I do just add on a little bit more for some a little more guarantee action and uh, and under, and keep finish my career to play so I love it. Um, I, I think that's it, – it'll be another interesting sort of – Un, you know, undercurrent of a lot of the extension deals that get talked about this year. Yeah. And I, I think maybe one of the biggest variables when we're talking about these guys, not Henderson, but, but the, the guys are going to be up next year, it, a variable that we don't even know what it is yet. But if the Bengals win the Super Bowl this year, then our guys more likely, Hey, I've got my ring. Now sure. let's go chase the bag. Whereas you get to the mountaintop again and fall just short. And then maybe you're like, I, this is my best chance. I'll play for a little less. I'll, I'll take a little shorter contract. I want to get that ring. I, I think 
I think that's going to play a bigger role in it than than maybe a lot of people think. We'll see. DJ's almost the the opposite of Trey Hendrickson. Like the the Bengals got a bargain in Trey Hendrickson. It felt like when they got DJ Reader, they overpaid, and he is just. I mean, I know you know league fan fans across the league maybe still a little bit of an unknown, but. But players, coaches, front office personnel see what this guy is and know what a difference maker he is and know that the Bengals didn't overpay, that he's worth it. And he and he you're right, he probably will make even more, even though he's heading into that 30 season. Um, I just I, I wonder how much of, of the way this season finishes is going to impact what happens next March. Uh, one more note uh, before we bring Mo in here. I just want to uh, to to tie a bow on the reader conversation. I just want to make sure it's a point. I freaking love DJ reader. I think yeah. he is unbelievable as a player, as a person to the culture and everything. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is that position, particularly crossing 30, not just defensive tackles, bigger. I mean, he's a big dude. Okay. And those guys, there's not a lot of history of mm-hmm. those guys crossing. It's just they're asking a lot. You're asking a lot of those guys to continue such a high level play into their 30s. Jay, I went a quick look. Um, you know, if you go back and look, you know, Reader was the 16 draft. The last two years, if you go back, what they would be paying DJ Reader for as far as the draft class goes of guys drafted in that draft class or earlier um, last year. How many from the 2014 draft class or earlier do you, do you, last year do you think played? 50% of snaps or more as a defensive tackle of a over the course of a season. How many? Four. Seven. <laughs> how, how many do you think had a grade of better than 78 via PFF, which is about, you know, top third of, of, right. of every of, of the 26 that played at all. Yeah. I'm trying to, Rack my brain from the you're you're saying the 14 class alone or the 14 and on. This is I'm just I know the whole 14 or earlier. So basically 30 and up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what it what it amounts to? How about three? Two. Cam Hayward, Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald. Throw him out. He's a freak. Doesn't count. Cam Hayward, a freak too. Both those guys are three techs. Okay, we're not talking about 325, 30, 40 pound defensive tackles do the same exercise in 2021 where you go one draft class earlier the 13 draft class earlier for the 21 season only five guys played at least 50 percent of the snaps only one had a grade of those better than 70 and that was hayward again the three technique 27 even played a snap at all there's not a lot of history here but it's just in and the it's physics almost you know you're just mm. asking a lot um, there's only so there's only so many guys that that can do it. I for DJ for our sake, selfishly, I hope DJ Reader is one of them, and the Bengals can find a way yes. to keep him around as long as possible. Um, but you know, football is brutal, man. It's brutal physically, it's brutal mentally, and it's brutal financially in the way guys are treated. It sucks. Uh. On that note, let's bring in Mo. <laughs> was that a happy intro? Hi. Was hey. that a happy intro? Sure, it was great. I, actually, I have a, I have something for you to cheer you up. Okay, I had one takeaway from yesterday's OTA that I saved. Oh, and I didn't mention it 
in full earlier. I did. I didn't mm-hmm. mention it with you on ESPN fifteen thirty from three to four yesterday, as we talked about Ellie De La Cruz most of the time. But mm-hmm. I thought Andre Yoshivash doesn't look as raw <laughs> as you might expect. Yes! I think he is yes! quickly polishing. Yes! I I tell you what I I've, I've seen I've heard people talking about Yoshivash and saying he's quickly catching on. Oh, You're boy. seeing the traits. Here we go. It's your time. Oh, a little early time. for this. No. It's this is oh, time. Man. I know you can you're like can you wait until we get a little bit outside of the the Ellie zone before you drop a Yoshivash on me. <laughs> yeah, I need like, you know, right now, you know, everybody's excited about the Reds and Ellie and it's I need to get to like late June, early July. I need one of you guys to write the, you know, this Andre Yoshivash guy <laughs> and give give me like 3 days that I can carry into training camp when he has the first big practice of camp and everybody's tweeting about it and I I'll be in heaven. It's honestly just to at you is the only reason I want to write the story. <laughs> I just I want to write about it just so I can get you to talk about it. I'm I'm honored that I've I've kind of become known in your little circle for being the guy who just gets an immense amount of joy over everybody obsessing over the uh, lightly touted late round college free agent out of nowhere wide receiver who has a couple of nice days during camp. Yeah, I don't take a lot of uh, mini camp or OTA practice video, but you better believe I will next week because if he makes a catch, I'll, I'll start the adding right next week. No and doubt. what you're going to what really what really will kick it over the top is if you get one of the DBs to talk about him. Oh, right. That's that's always the best. <laughs> right. Like you get Cam Taylor Britt or you get Cheeto or somebody Mike Hilton to, you know, sort of put Andre over. That's mm. always the best part of that. When you get the you know, sort of established defensive back who's like, boy, you know what? This rookie didn't know a lot about him. But I tell you what, he was cooking <laughs> us during practice. Boy, he that's. That is red meat slobbered in uh, gravy topped with Skyline chili, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> that's, that's quite that's a, a combo, by the way. It's quite a meal. <laughs> I'm touching that one. Uh, but but uh, uh, all right. Or maybe maybe we could pull out some some old uh, Kwame Lasseter notes, Jay. Mm. Oh, yeah. For a blast from last year's past. Uh, all right. Mo. So we I discussed this with you yesterday. I had an idea. It's totally original, never been done before, not at all a sports talk trope. Let's talk breakout players, okay? Yes. If you could pick one player and guarantee a a realistic, pleasant year-over-year jump, who would it be? And uh, what's your maybe top two or three of that of your list look like there? the one guy that I can guarantee would be Dax Hill because he's going to be on the field this year, right? Uh, last year, you know, he got on the field, but you know, you, you really couldn't ask for a better runway to have success. Not a lot was asked of him last year. He was a part of a good defense. He had a chance to be the understudied to a couple of high end safeties. Uh, he's in a very good defensive coordinator system. Um, Hopefully the pass rush has improved, but Dak sells a former first round pick going into his second season where he's now going to be thrust into this starring role. So just a, he's going to play more B. 
I, I don't know that you could be more set up to have success in your second season than Dax Hill. And I guess it would help if Von Bell were back there still. But I, for me, it's it's Dax Hill. Nobody denies the athleticism, the versatility, the speed. Uh, all of those traits are, are why he was taken in the first round. And then a year ago at this time, it was, look, he's going to learn and we'll see how they use him, but he's going to have a a front row seat to watch two very good safeties play. He's going to be plugged into a very good defense when he finally does play. And he has all those physical characteristics. So for me, the very first name that jumped to the top of my mind was, was Dax Hill. Um, I could give you the other couple of guys that I, I thought about if, if you prefer, or would you like to, to take that and run Jay? What do you, where do you got? Well, I'm going to go with another guy from last year's draft class, but for the exact opposite reason Mo did that because he did play. And if we're talking tropes and cliches, I mean, you hear it all the time. The guys make the biggest jump from year one to year two. Cordell Volson starting every game last year. And there was that. Yeah, but he he was good. He wasn't he wasn't great. He's got Ted Karras and Orlando Brown on either side of him. And I just I think that's a guy that is. With with what he was able to do as a rookie, I, I think you're going to see him take a big jump this year and play much better. He, he's already got 16 games under his 16 starts under his belt, um, and, and the fact that that he was good, not great, leaves that room for that jump. And I just I, I think he's a guy that maybe you don't notice it the way you would a Dax Hill, where he's making splash plays with with PBUs and interceptions and sacks if he's blitzing that kind of stuff. But, but I, I do expect Cordell Volson to make a big leap this year. Yeah. I mean, always vote to protect nine, right? I think that's <laughs> yeah. like, if when in doubt, like the vote is to keep nine upright and, and winning games for you. Um, I have a couple different directions that, that I, I could go here, but I'm going to go back to one that I have, um, there's a, there, there's, I'm very close on them. I I've said, talked about Zach Carter before. Yeah. I just, I had him down. I just worry if I have a concern about a defense that I think is built to win Super Bowl that I think is stacked. It's, I, I, I worry about the interior pass rush. I, I, I worry, uh, that they have enough in there, particularly depth wise, and that they have somebody if BJ Hill, you know, is okay or needs more rest or 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 gets hurt, uh, that they have anybody else there that can help bring that. I mean, you get some of that from Reader, but that's not his forte. Uh I just I, I think they, they made a they placed a third round bet on Zach Carter last year. Um he made some strides. They need him to become a little to be become more of a pass rusher. So that was like one that I've talked about before. I think Cam Taylor Britt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is just so set up to become a real dude. I mean, he had that solid base, really came on. And with the uncertainty of Cheeto, we spent the first half of this show talking about guys in contract years and not paying guys third contracts. They need a number one. We don't know what DJ Turner is going to be. He, we don't know if he's going to replicate the success we saw from Cam Taylor Britt. You have Cam Taylor Britt showing that he could be a one. Hmm. He he set that foundation. Him becoming that is so critical. 
uh, or becoming something close to it and, and not having a regression. If I could guarantee that at that type of a high end premium position, the value you would get from that um, and the uncertainty of Cheeto and what is DJ Turner and all of that that surrounds it, that might actually be where, where I go first. <laughs> Yeah, I, I had him on my short list uh, primarily because, uh, knock on wood, he's actually going to have a normal training camp slash preseason, which he didn't have last year. Yeah, so, no. you know, he was sort of playing catch up and joined the team uh, on the field as the season had already started. And you certainly saw flashes of what he could do last year. So I, I had him I had him on my list. I also had Joseph Osai. Yeah. This is, you know, you talk about the year one to year two leap. Last year was essentially year one. You saw flashes and, and you get the, the free redemption story where he Love has it. the big no. game and you know, there was what happened against the chiefs, but he didn't hang his head. His teammates rallied around him except for Jermaine Pratt. And, uh, <laughs> he's, he's determined now he's not going to be the reason they lose the AFC championship game. He's going to be the reason why they win. So one of you guys will write that in, I don't know, early November, but uh, look, a year ago at this time, as we were talking about, okay, you know, who can make an impact on this defense that didn't come from the 2022 draft? A lot of us, we kept talking about, God, remember Joseph Osai in the first half of that game against the Bucks? Remember how good he looked? And then, unfortunately, his rookie season was taken away from him. Um, I think you saw progress from him last year. But, okay, the year one to year two leap for a unit that could badly use uh, some help. We don't know how much Miles Murphy is really going to be able to contribute this year. So I, I had Joseph Osai on my list as well. And I had one offensive player, but I'm, I'm not sure if we're allowed to talk about rookies. So I'll, I'll table that for a second. Uh, I, I was, have already gone into our like story budget and plotted the Osai <laughs> story for December 28th okay. yeah. in the lead up to the Chiefs yes. game in yeah. Kansas city. It's already, I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and write it now. And then we'll just we'll put the new stats in that week. That way it saves me some time over Christmas week. You really want the pre-written story in the week of Christmas. So <laughs> yeah. I'm just plotting it right in there. Sorry, Jay, I'm stealing this. December 28th, and I'm taking that day off. Uh, you, you need actually you, you need you need to go Monday after the week before because that that Wednesday leading up to the Chiefs game, every media member in Cincinnati is gonna be around his locker. So if you want to beat everybody to the punch, he have hopes. that ready to go the Monday before the Chiefs game. Yes. All right, let's just take a quick break. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's let's jump out of that. I have a, a good a good question for you. You're you're perfectly set up to talk about this. Um the whatever the hell is happening, Cincinnati sports, I it has to make <laughs> It has to make Cincinnati sports fans uncomfortable right now. Like, if you are a Cincinnati sports fan, you grew up on angst uh, <laughs> and failure and hopelessness and complaints and half-empty, sterile stadiums. And now you've got, like, a team that can't lose in a brand-new TQL. It's sold out every time they play at FC Cincinnati. You've got... 
standing and chanting Ellie for Ellie De La Cruz and like a <laughs> cast of like the world's greatest, like, you know, triple A team all coming up and killing it. And you've got the Bengals who are just, you know, been to the Super Bowl and on prime time and Joe Burrow. What the hell is happening here? Is this the when is the comparable era? Is there a year or two span that compares to what is happening in this city right now? You know, Jay and I talked about this a little bit last week while while you were out uh, exceeding my expectations for you on the golf course. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. I'm glad you could admit <laughs> sure that. That's, that's going to yeah. come up. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, 2012 and 13 were a lot of fun. Uh, the Reds were terrific in 2012. They were good-ish in 2013. But the Bengals were also really good, too. And so, you know, I, I remember... I had to do a show in 2012. Uh, Ken Brew was on assignment in San Francisco covering the Reds in the playoffs. And I had to be on that morning, the day after the Reds won game one against San Francisco, which ended very late at night. I celebrated the victory deeper into the night and then woke up and did a show at 9 a.m. And the Bengals played that day, I think, I think against the Miami Dolphins. And uh, I don't think they won the football game. But but I remember thinking, like, finally, like, all right, you, you got an NFL team that's relevant. You got a baseball team that's good. This is awesome. Obviously, we know what happened with the Reds that year. But it really felt like the Bengals were kind of on the rise. And the Reds were in the middle of a stretch where they, they may contend. But this has a real different feel to it. Like, first of all, with the Bengals, gone is the fear that, well, they'll get to the postseason and then lose a playoff game. Gone is the, are they ever going to win a playoff game narrative? Now, I do think it's going to be fascinating if they fall short of a championship this year to hear what the reaction sounds like compared to the previous two years, but expectations are massive for this team. And and I also feel, sort of feel like the conversation about them in terms of what we do has shifted. A year ago, it was, uh, find the guy on a national outlet that says the Bengals got lucky last year and then pick away at him. I've said publicly, I'm kind of done with that. I'm kind of done with this guy doesn't think Joe Burrow is the greatest quarterback ever. Let's beat up on him. I'm done with that, uh, which is good. And if everybody else still wants to do that, that's fine. Hmm. But now it's, it's, it's really about whether or not this team can win a championship. And with the Reds, I mean, God, how things have flipped. We're now, we're, we're wondering, how soon can they contend? Could they maybe win a division this year? Uh, and then once they're in contention, could this thing be sustained? Could it last for a while? What's the roster going to look like moving forward? Um, it's happening very organically. And and it's it, it's happening in ways that I think a year ago, a lot of people would have said is is never going to happen. And and then with, with FC Cincinnati, they're dominant. I, I mean they're going to lose a game at home at some point, And it's going to be jarring when, when that happens. Um, and it's, it, it really is remarkable because two years ago, that was a national punchline and to a degree, a local sports afterthought. And now here they are, maybe the best team in their league. They're in the semis of the U S open cup. The stadium is a sellout every single game. Um, they've got some players that I think are becoming, you know, pretty recognizable, even among casual soccer fans or just sort of casual sports fans. It's, it's a blast. And what I love most about it is there's no longer the, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. How's it going to go wrong? That's I'm sure there are people who still live with that, but that's kind of gone 
away as as a trope. And it's fun to hear people sound so optimistic. I, I said this, I think, to you, Paul, and maybe to you last week, Jay. Uh, we did a show last Tuesday, and it was, you know, kind of in response to what C. Trent wrote about Jonathan India. And what I loved about the conversation that resulted in our show was Phil Castellini's name never came up. Where are you going to go? Never came up. Mm-hmm. Attendance never came up. We talked about baseball. We, we like we, we talked about who may play where and who should hit where and who you might trade and how's this piece going to fit and what's David Bell going to do with all these guys and that's the part of sports that I love and it's not unlike how I felt in 2021 where suddenly we talked about play calling and strategies and player personnel moves and uh, philosophies and roster building and the upcoming opponent and, and how they would match up. And for years we didn't do that. And I can certainly engage in all those conversations, but I prefer to actually talk about games and strategies and players, the, the fun part of sports. And it doesn't mean we're always going to agree. I love that. And, and I even think to a tiny degree, you're starting to get that a little bit with, with FC Cincinnati. And that to me is a lot of fun. And it's, it's fun. Last night I was, I was lucky enough to go to the game. It was just, it was fun watching Reds fans be excited and feel happy and high five each other and, and feel like they were there for more than just the, the social aspect, which I'm always here for and watch people pay attention to the game and listen to people talk about when Christian Encarnacion Strand's going to be called up. And is Ellie really going to be the third baseman? Where else could he play? What are they going to do with India? Like those conversations were happening in the stands and uh, it's, it's an immense amount of fun. And I, I hope, especially for folks who have been through some of the the dark times for all of these franchises, I, I hope people really are appreciating in this town, what we're starting to have. Yeah. I mean, for, for so long, FC wasn't even in the picture. It was just Reds and Bengals. So adding them to the mix, I, I think you do have to say this is, I mean, the Reds are still five under 500 sure. and they're, they're not where they need to be yet, but it, it is exciting. And, um, I, I had looked at, there's only been six times the Bengals and Reds have both made the the playoffs in the same year. Um, there's only been once that they both advanced and that was 90. 90. Yeah. yeah. And that was, I mean, Reds win the world series. Bengals win a playoff game. It was, they're only two years removed from their Super Bowl. I mean, I think 90 would be the the best comparison, but again, it was, a, it was a two horse town. Now you've got FC in there. I can't remember if the Cyclones are around in 90. I think they're well, so brand I, new. I have, but, I have 90 nuggets here because this okay. is, I'm 10. Right. Okay. This is prime for me. I, I think 90 you have, yes, the Bengals are a couple years off the Super Bowl. You have, um, you know, the red wire to wire. wire. Where's Quinones? And we're so excited. Where's Quinones? <laughs> <Mates>. <laughs> <laughs> and let's go to Eho. And so we've yes. got we've got all of that happening. Hugs is right around the corner at UC. Mm. You've got X is like in a cool time for them where they made the sweet 16 run and beat Georgetown. Mm-hmm. And First time it was, ever. It was a really cool thing happening there, uh, you know, at the old Cincinnati Gardens, which is great. The Cyclones started expansion clones in ah, 1990. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. was also going on. Pretty cool overall time, I thought, right there that I go back to as if you're trying to compare. Also, you brought up the 12. Let's not forget, that was a really fun UC Hoops year. Uh, mm-hmm. That Sweet 12 16. tournament, they end up playing Ohio State in the Sweet 16. Uh, that win against Florida State is one of the uh, 
uh, I would say, signature victories of the Cronin era in the second round. Um, and a really fun team. They played in the Big East title game at, at the mm-hmm. Garden against Louisville, which is ugly, they, but it was still fun. They won that game because Louisville had to vacate it. That's right. Big East, Big East, <laughs> Big East champions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that game, the, the win against Georgetown and Syracuse, like it was just a fun, there was a lot of fun stuff happening. Reds, Bengals, UC Bat. I mean, there was just, it was a lot of fun stuff. I, I, outside of that, though, you really have a hard time putting together where you had a lot of good things happening at once, like seem to potentially, maybe, if things go well, happening right now. It's fun. Yeah. 81, we got screwed because of stupid Bowie Coon because of the, the idiotic <laughs> Bowie decision. Coon dropped. I really didn't think we were going to get a Bowie Coon. Bowie Coon's the biggest clown, uh, and this is saying something because baseball's had some awful commissioners. Uh, Bowie Coon, in 1981, deciding we're going to, after the strike, have a first-half winner and a second-half winner, which meant that the, the two teams with the best record in the National League didn't get a chance to make the postseason, the Reds and the St. Louis Cardinals, which is just asinine. And so who knows, maybe the Reds that year advance in the postseason. That's the same year, obviously, the Bengals uh, made it to the Super Bowl. So we we kind of got screwed. But yeah, I mean, there's the uh, oftentimes the, the teams have sort of sort of stood alone and and they I, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. The, the Reds are doing well. Right. And, you know, that obviously hasn't happened all that much over the last quarter century. But when they're doing well, typically the Bengals aren't. And so then it, it's there's this automatic sort of juxtaposition. Well, here's what the Reds are doing that I wish the Bengals were doing. And that that dimension has sort of been in play the last couple of years with how good the Bengals have been. And, well, what's it going to take for the Reds to catch up? And the Reds still have to catch up. As Jay said, they're still below 500. Um, I still wouldn't bet on them making the postseason. But I, I think you're kidding yourself if you don't believe that the the arrow is pointed upward for them. And we're not we're not doing that. Like for me... I said this a number of years ago. I just want to not talk about the owner, right? That's my goal as a fan. That's my goal on the air. I don't want to talk about the owner. I, I want I want the owner to just sort of be in the background where I, they never come up. Um, we don't talk about Bengals ownership because nobody complains about ownership when the team is good. And now that the Reds are sort of on the come, nobody's talking about Bob and Phil and where are you going to go and and all that sort of stuff. I like it when... When usually when we're talking about a team's owner, we're not really talking about the team or the sport. When we're talking about the sport and the team, we're typically not talking about the owner. And I think owners are boring. So uh, I'm glad we're not really talking about them. Yeah. Pretty rare to be like, you know what I love most about my team? Ownership. God, (laughs) just love my owner. You know, it's just, you're just not, it's only when you're mad, when you yell Mm -hmm. the, the owner's name. Mike Brown, Phil Castellini. But you know, the thing about the thing about 1990 is it came on the heels of what was such a dark year in Cincinnati because of Rose, Mm -hmm. the Reds woefully underachieved that year. The Bengals were a huge dud in 89, losing on Christmas day uh, and and not even making the postseason. And it was really sort of a rough time. And so what was so much fun about 1990 is really starting with Xavier going to the sweet 16. Uh, Suddenly, it's like, wait a minute, good stuff is happening right at the end of this really dark period of time. Sports Illustrated in 1990 named us the city of the year. Mm. And and then the piece just sort of talked about how much our city sucks, which wasn't fair. <laughs> it's like the ultimate Cincinnati thing. We're named the city of the year. And then the guy who wrote it, it just sucks. like smeared us up and down. That was no fun. 
But uh, yeah, ninety was fun. Ninety was fun, and and right now, so far at least, two thousand twenty three is fun. Yeah, I sort of felt the same way last week when I was in the car driving back with my dad and thinking, oh, it's be fun to listen to Mo uh, talk. And then you just end up like saying that, you know, you probably shot in the like 90s. And, and, my, and then my dad is a very good golfer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very, mm-hmm. very good. Mm-hmm. He's shot his age multiple times. Mm-hmm. He has shot in the 60s. And and so for for I think for his number that you guessed on this trip to be in the mid 80s, I just it was hurtful. I think Mm -hmm. for our entire family, I think just as a, and, uh, and so we're, you know, we, we, if the, if you wanted to issue an apology, uh, now I, he did beat me every day. He always beats, beats me. I said that would happen. Yeah. That's, that's fair. I I did predict. I did do better than you said. I shot in the mid eighties, uh, a couple (laughs) of times. Some were higher than the number that you suggested, but I had some that were better. Mm -hmm. So I, I will, I will stand by that and be happy about that. Um, In my defense. Okay. I've never seen either of you play. Yeah, I have no did. frame of reference. I had nothing to go by. I was just told to guess, right? It's it's like when I talk about the draft and people call me, they're like, what do you think of this guy? Like, I have no, I don't know who that is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's he's going to be great. I, yeah, they should draft him, right? So I'm sort of flying blind here. I I gathered your dad was probably better, uh, but I've never seen him play. He never told me how good he was. I've never heard fish tales of his exploits in the golf course. You've never said to me, God, you know what? You got to get my dad in the golf course. He's unbelievable. I So I, I'm sort of just throwing darts here. So I, I do I, love how you instantly did know that he's definitely better than me. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I, because yeah. I, 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 it, I, it seems to me like he plays more yeah. than you do. Right. That's, that's part of uh, it. Yeah. That's no <laughs> doubt about it. No doubt. So I'm guessing, all right, senior plays more. So he's probably going to beat Paul, but I'm just sort of flying blind in terms. Of, I don't know what your handicap is. I don't know what his handicap is. So I, I, I made some guesses. Did they turn out to be bad guesses? Sure. But they were just guesses. They weren't based yeah. on anything. Like I didn't say, God, I tell you what, you could tell like, uh, Daner Daner Jr. can't uh, can't putt, and uh, holy hell, <laughs> partially true. Like you know, senior needs uh, you know f- f- needs like three shots to even hit the fairway. I didn't say any of that. I just I took guesses based on having no information, <laughs> which is sort of what we do in my business. So yes. I I shouldn't be complaining. It was a well it was a well framed uh, argument there, and and I appreciate it. Um, you know, it's not going to change our feelings. I understand, uh, but but I but I do but I do I do appreciate it. Um, we will. There's only way to solve this, and that's for us all to get on the golf course together, and so we can have better knowledge. Of, I can uh, of assure you, you're all better than me, and and I believe I said that last <laughs> week. I, I believe I pointed out like those guys could both probably destroy me, uh, but here's what I'm guessing they shoot, and and apparently I guessed wrong. It's okay. It's okay. We're 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 going to move on, and we're going to let it go. We're not going to let it linger at all and bring it up forever. It's not something we would do. Uh, you know, all right, Mo. Uh, I've heard your dad has my number, so I've been kind of looking at the phone, waiting for. It. I'm at, yeah. I'm actually surprised you haven't gotten a message at this point. It's coming. It's definitely coming. Uh, Just blame right. me, Mo. I appreciate it. Uh, we will uh, we will chat with you next week after we write our Yoshivash story. I look forward to it. Thanks, guys. See. You. Uh, there's Mo Egger, ESPN 1530. Make sure you catch him every day uh, from 3 to 6 when he's not taking the day off to golf with us. Um, okay, you guys have questions. I got a, We had a lot of them to get to. We're going to try to pound through these because we're deep into the pod. 
but you guys know we're here for you. Okay. We're 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 going through the off season. We're trying to make sure you feel good. I'm gonna write a mailbag this week. So if you asked some question you thought was a particularly good one and I didn't answer it, we didn't bring it up here, it's probably because I banked it for Tua to write on because I want to expand a little bit more than just us blowing through some questions here. All right. Let's see, where should I start? Let's start here. Uh, I got this from Rich Culbertson. Last year, the offense evolved from an outside zone scheme to a downhill gap shotgun during the season. Should we expect them to go with the downhill gap from the start of training camp to fully master it? Touched on this earlier. Yeah. uh, A little bit. So I guess I started in a terrible place. Uh, But I, yes, I I think, Mm. I think it's who they are. It's who they want to be. And I fully expect them to continue to lean into all of that stuff, and it be you know they when we you know when they were drafting guys and looking at guys in free agency and trying to figure out what fits, um, they were looking for players that do well in this type of scheme because I think they they fat, feel like they found what fits them right now. It's a, a you know a quality part of continuity on the line in the coaching staff and the schemes to to know exactly what they're looking for and and this is what's going to look like. Yeah, and as you mentioned earlier, too, I mean, we've already seen it. That That's what they – the limited look that we've got at any kind of team drills was was a lot of that. So, yeah, I I, I fully expect – now, it doesn't mean things don't go well and they, they couldn't pivot. We've seen them do that, make these pivots midseason to, to go a different direction. But I, I would be surprised to see that. It doesn't have to be great with, with the passing game they have, but you just have a competent running game. Um, at the at the base level, and and I think it would be better than that. You've got two guys in there now that a lot of hope about Chase Brown being a, a a tandem back with Joe Mixon. I just I think this suits the personnel really well. Yeah. Um, this one from ZW Paul. Whatever happened with Zeke Elliott? Seemed like a perfect backup to Mixon. That was fabricated by Zeke Elliott's people. <laughs> he narrowed his list down to three. <laughs> Three teams that were very surprised to find out that they apparently had interest in Zeke Elliott in the first place. Um, I don't, you know, look if if they're if he's out there forever and they need it, feel like they need a guy, maybe that'd be somebody they look into. I don't think they're looking for more aging running backs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're probably looking for less. Um, but again, I still think a lot to shake up at that position, which we have discussed often. Um, do you think the Bengals will do a best five strategy for the O-line? Perhaps LC at left guard, or is that Volson's job at this point? Um, I I think their best five strategy involves whoever wins the right tackle job joining the other four. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you, know, you would keep LC around. In, in a theory where you keep LC around, I, I, you're not – he could play guard. I, I think in a you know in a in where you're talking about injuries have taken over. He's big. He can move people, but I don't think that's what they would want. And, and you know that, they wouldn't certainly see him as someone who could who they'd want to take over for Volson or something like that. I think you'd have to have probably multiple injuries at guard, at least at least one, hmm. um, for that to happen. Because there's other ways you could shift things. Um. You know, whether it be Carmen moving inside to guard and a guy and maybe you know, I don't know. There's a lot of other things. I, I 
I think that the best five is the four that you know, and whoever wins right tackle is their best five. If injuries start happening, they have a lot of pieces that have guard tackle flexibility um, on their roster right now. And so I think that would be where the adjustments would then come in, whether it's Cody Ford, Adenogy, LC, Carmen, all of these guys kind of have that in their background. So, and then Trey Hill, you know, there's still a lot of hope for him. So I, the best five, I think is, I think we know what those, what those are minus the right tackle competition. Yeah. I mean, Volson would have to really fall on his face for them to, to make a move there, you know, beyond an injury. It's just, yeah. it, he started every game last year as a rookie. You, you, you're hoping that, that he's your guy for four years in a row. Um, who knows? I, I, they don't typically give second contracts to interior guys, although they did Trey Hopkins. Um, but yeah, that's that that would seem if, if he were to lose that starting job for whatever reason, that would really seem to, to set that back and kind of stunt that growth. And um, I do. We, we talked about it a bunch. I, I know you and I have both mentioned it, that there is no way that they're going to have Elsie and Jonah on the on the roster this year. And I that thinking has changed where you could see a path to. To that, if if the money is there, um, that is a hell of an insurance policy to have a, a guy in LC that could play guard, that could play tackle. If, if you, you saw what happened last year when the injuries started mounting, and um, it's it, they've worked so long to build a quality starting offensive line. Now the next step is quality depth behind that starting group. There was a line put to me by somebody um, that was, look. Yeah, I mean, the, the amount of money the Bengals have invested in their offensive line next year is a crazy number. Um, you know, it's as as much as anybody almost in the league. Everybody's getting paid outside of Volson. They've got expensive backups. They've got Jonah. You've got Orlando on this big contract. You know, there's they're, they're right up there. Everybody's getting paid. And you say, oh, $22 million for Jonah and Collins. Now, that seems insane. But if it's there, and if that's the luxury of having Burrow on the rookie contract, and you said, but would you pay 22? It was the line that was put to me was, would you pay $22 million to win the AFC championship? I think you would. If that's, <laughs> if that's the reason you've been eliminated the last two years, right. um, has been depth on the line, not being good enough. Maybe that's the luxury this year that's where you're at with having the rookie quarterback contract is you can have all kinds of you can have depth that you haven't had so in case it happens again like it happens everywhere you can have burrow upright for that third down or whatever it is to to make the play and that can make all the difference it was it's an interesting thought um but there's a, a so many variables again goes back to the domino the giant domino, <laughs> it all starts. Do they have the money? What did they do? You just can't be sure on any of this stuff until you know exactly what Burrow's deal looks like. Um, let's go to the next. We talked about the Burrow deal there. Check that. Check that <laughs> box. Thank you to our sponsors. Um, okay. PJ91Gonzalez. Run past your boot. You know we like those. Joe Mixon over a thousand yards. I assume that's rushing and not from scrimmage. Joe Mixon over a thousand yards. Jamar T and TB all over a thousand receiving. Or Joe Burrow fifty touchdowns. 
It's a lot of touchdowns. Yes, it is. Um, that's a good one, Jay. You kick us off. Well, you said it. That's a lot of touchdowns. I'm booting Joe Burrow 50 touchdowns. There's only three guys in the league have ever hit that number, and two of them hit 50 on the nose. So it's just that's asking a lot. His career high is 35. That's as good as he's been. And you're talking about a I don't know. Do some quick math. 38, 39 percent leap. That's that's asking a lot. Um, as tempted to boot Mixon just because they did draft Chase Brown, but you you could see where maybe he developed slow or something happens, and and I I'm gonna pass on on Mixon over a thousand yards, and I'm gonna run with the the big three hitting a thousand each. I mean, last year TB had eight twenty eight and. Or I'm sorry, in 2021, he had 828, only played 16 games. Uh, last year, 762, only played 16 games. I mean, give him 17 games in a contract year, um, I I wouldn't rule it out. It's it's rare, too. It's not as rare as quarterbacks throwing for, for 50 touchdowns, but um, it, it has happened where a team has had three guys go over 1,000 yards, so it's it's a little hard to run with that because it's so rare, but given those those options, that's that's the way I'm going to go. I'm going to run with receivers, pass on Mixon, and boot Burrow hitting 50. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, the receivers is hard. It's just they haven't done it to this point, and they've had them. I actually think you need an injury to one of the – to T or Jamar for a bit where they have to feature TB for a few more games because that's really the difference. I mean, you, you, they're not afraid to feature TB. Um, when when he kind of becomes your number two guy, but his numbers suffer when you always have those other two there. Jamar, I mean, we know, luckily last year, he can go over 1,000 and not have to play the whole season. Uh, <laughs> and the same thing with T, potentially. You got to get TB there. So, And that's not an impossible thing. Um, it's really close, but I would, I would say the three receivers over 1,000 as well. Joe Mixon over 1,000 yards rushing would be my second one. And yeah, per 50 touchdowns. Um, Hey, things are going well if that happens, but uh, that does seem to be a lot. I think you need a lot of reliance on the pass game in the red zone there for that to happen, and I and I don't know that they're going to go that far. I think they still want to be able to be efficient uh, running the ball in the red zone. I know that's going to be a big difference to them having really good red zone numbers. It was a big part of their turnaround last year. Um, okay, let's go. We let's see here. Adam Burris with the Reds having some exciting prospects. What young Bengals players do you see as comparisons as far as the excitement level? Maybe a Dax Hill, DJ Turner is a is a Christian Encarnacion Strand, Ellie De La Cruz combo. Uh, what do you think on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that anybody compares to Ellie in terms of just the overall hype, that would have been Burrow a couple years ago. And now he's, he's going into year four. So I don't know if he qualifies. Um, but I do. I mean, Dax is a first round pick and, and we haven't really seen much of him yet. So uh, I I think that is a good comp right there. Um, but that's that's a tough one. I mean. Miles Murphy, who knows? It's these guys, they're, they're the guys that haven't done anything yet. It's so hard to do. I think baseball is more predictive on on these guys that are elite prospects that start rising through the minors usually pan out to be pretty good. And things can just go sideways or any any sort of direction in football. There's 
it's hard to there, there's no locks in that first round. Uh, so I'm I'm struggling to answer this one. Well, I, it's Burrow Chase. I mean, I was thinking them too old to be really qualified. I, well, it's, just yeah, not, yeah. it's not it's not fair. Like what you there's only so many guys and maybe Ellie is more chase and there is no burrow comparison. And like the rest of the young guys are burrow because you look, look at, look at Mike Trout and Shohei Otani you just, in baseball. You need more. It's not like quarterback. Mm-hmm. It's not like a two person combo, but I think Ellie can be the chase. And if the other guys can be great, that's like having a burrow. If you have depth on top of the star. You know, if you have a Stanton or a judge or Juan Soto or whoever, and I think that's what you're saying. Ellie can be, he's the guy that can, can potentially be that that's like having chase and then having a team to go with that guy is like having burrow. Now you've superpowered it. Now you can, now it matters to in winning and not just in being fun. Uh, And so to me, uh, there is no Burrow comparison because there is no comparison to having a great quarterback in football across sports mm-hmm. where outside of, I guess, maybe the star player in the NBA, right? Your LeBrons and such. Uh, but I think it, when you're talking baseball, there's definitely no comparison, no matter yeah. who you have. Again, the Otani Trout thing is the perfect example. Even if you got two of those guys. Um, you've got to have so much more. So I think it's not really fair to go across sports, but excitement level. I mean, Ellie and Jamar, like I thought it was so fitting. You know, last week I was lucky enough (laughs) to be there in Louisville. Uh, The game I picked to go check him out, he ends up hitting the walk-off bomb and then does the gritty going across home plate. And it's just like that felt really fitting, you know? Mm. Coming to Cincinnati, I'm gonna drop a gritty on this moment right now, and uh, so I, easy for me to put together an Ellie Chase moment. I think the Reds having a real team to put around Ellie is the Burrow. Um, There's got to be a Skyline commercial with Ellie and Chase. I mean, now that Skyline's on with the Bengals, I can't think of, of many other products or sponsors that that both teams share. I think they have separate soft drink deals, but Skyline is is Cincinnati. Uh, that would that. It's not like they need to advertise, but that would be huge in Cincinnati if you get those two together. Well, aren't you bringing in Acosta and doing a three-way? I mean, aren't you going in for the Cincinnati three-way? You got to take advantage. Your skyline, you're thinking three-ways. You're thinking yeah, the three teams. You, you bring in the like these most like you know engaging stars from the three teams. I think you bring them together. Come on, Skyline. I'm just giving you free stuff here. Yeah. <laughs> this is me just giving this to Scotland doesn't need my help. I'm just giving this for free. It's right there for you. Just take it. Um get this one from Hooday Phil. Not really a question, but more of what even is this from the Sports Business Journal article on Caroline and Elizabeth. And the story on Caroline and Elizabeth, um, which I'm not, the link is not coming up for me now. Is it coming up? There we go. It says Burrow's four-year, $36 million rookie contract expires after 2020 season. While he has suggested he is open to a hometown discount, speculation has begun over just how high his next deal will be and if it will be in Cincinnati. Uh, That, I think that's a thing that people say Mm. (laughs) in stories that are not necessarily totally in tune with, with, the tenor of the negotiations here locally. It was a throwaway ad into a bigger story. I, 
that is not yeah i wouldn't yeah don't don't worry about that i wouldn't look i wouldn't think about that very much i think it's just a random throwaway inside of a, a piece and a good piece i i recommend reading yeah it, it was good. um you know we'll certainly yeah, there's a there's a lot of stuff in there about caroline and elizabeth who are who are doing big things um but i wouldn't worry about that the, the the hometown discount thing i have one thought on this and i had i don't it's just kind of occurred to me as someone who in jay you did too came up in the newspaper industry um it's it's easy for me to make this connection on jay you're wincing like where the hell are you going no i'm just curious yeah 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 people that an industry that's the worst and then quarterbacks an industry that's the best uh <laughs> it's this you know, quarterbacks are ceos they they make insane amounts of money way more than anyone else in the building um outside of ownership and it puts them in it's a different level and and it's it's amounts of money that we can hardly even comprehend and i go back to being at gannett who by the way they had walkouts happening on monday the the guilds are like what is going on layoffs everywhere ceos are paying themselves these huge bonuses and making all this money while all these layoffs are happening there's my connection it, people talk about hometown discounts and things. What is the difference, Jay? And maybe I'm maybe I'm off this. Maybe someone's listening to this, like listen to Dana the idiot. But I know that an argument that that we had from a labor force perspective in in the newspaper industry as writers is how are how are you as a CEO giving yourself all of this extra money, paying these massive bonuses to yourself? And making all this money while simultaneously just laying people off, okay? Because this is where the your the quality of your product comes from. It, I'm not saying that Burrow should do that. He doesn't owe anybody that. But if he chooses to view himself as a CEO who doesn't want to be viewed as taking more money at the expense of others. Not that these people will be laid off and lose their jobs altogether, but at the expense of keeping his people around his product, there's a similar line of thought there of what, you know, I, I the way you would view it. Again, he doesn't owe anybody that necessarily at all. But I I do think there's I, I thought about it through through that lens of like people get mad at the CEO who pays himself a bonus while people get laid off. What would necessarily be the difference if Burrow came out and said, I, I, it didn't feel right for me to like just get an inordinate amount of money that is just way out of control and then tell somebody else, sorry, you can't play here anymore because I gave myself all this money. It's a similar conversation. And this is my very narrow view of my life and my experiences. But I found it, you know, thinking through it that lens, I don't know, does that, does that play for you or you think I'm an idiot? No, it does play. But in, it, the thing is that it, it's not just about, the, the CEO taking this amount of money and leaving this much for, for the rest of the employees, it's, it's about the quality of the product. I right. mean, yes. I mean, I think Joe has his teammates in mind, but, but the ultimate goal is winning, which is the quality of the product. I, I feel like the CEO of Gannett does not give one crap about no what question they're putting out <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and underserving communities and, and, and just cutting back the coverage and it's all about the money. And, so I, I think that goes to it where it's not it's not just the the guys 
under you, although in football, it's more alongside of you than under you. But it's it's about keeping the pr- the product quality high and making the, the, the people served by the product happy and engaged. And I, I think that's where the, the big difference is. And, you know, I know Joe's not thinking of it that way, but he is thinking about it as winning. And that kind of translates into quality of product and in keeping the whole bubble, the whole circle in a good spot. Um, on that note, Jay, if you're listening to this podcast and you like to mess around on the internet and for funny videos, Google everything is awesome. Oh, Gannett yeah. executive team on YouTube. <laughs> go, go to YouTube. It's a minute 40. It is incredible. And in just, and just envision working for in an environment where everything is happening that we just talked about. And, and then this, Show. It's incredible. It's truly, it's truly incredible. Everything is awesome. Gannett executive team on YouTube. Go, go check that out if you have some time. You'll enjoy that. Um, okay. And, and by the way, this is not to denigrate the work that the people that are still no. at good because there's great people there, and they they've just they're they're trying to do their jobs with their hands tied behind their back. No question. It is it is a strictly a Gannett upper upper management, and it's not just Gannett. No. It's newspapers everywhere. And this was turned into an anti-newspaper podcast. I don't mean to, like, it's just a mess. Somebody who came up loving the industry, reading the newspaper every yes. day, wanting to write for the newspaper, doing that to see what it's become and how it's basically been eliminated. Uh, as Trent Rosecrans likes to say, it's, it's, you know, the newspaper industry isn't dying. It committed suicide <laughs> because it decided to, to take out its, uh, you know, own people. Hmm. All right, I got. I got to move on. All right, Steve Hafner, <laughs> can you do a spill the tea roundtable from the past in a bad season? When did you know it, and why? I think we've done some different versions of this in the past. Um, what was the most dysfunctional locker room you've ever seen? There has to be a point that it is okay to talk about. Um, Jay, I I have a couple in mind. Do you have one? You know, I'm, I feel like. Football is a little different than baseball, whereas baseball, the, the writers are in there every day before the game and after the game. And and whereas in football, you're in there for 45 minutes a day and the team, it's much easier for the team to be on their best behavior. You don't see that dysfunctional aspect of it as much. Um, I, can't, I can't remember. There was there was some anger. Um, I can't remember what game it was, but. But there were some players. There was a miss kick that cost them, and there was there were some comments made there. But but generally, they they put on a brave face and kind of keep that keep the team together. As far as a bad season when you knew it was bad, um, I don't. I'm trying to remember when it went south in in eighteen because it's that season started so good, and then the the zero blitz against the Steelers and Roethlisberger hits the game winning touchdown. It all went downhill after that. I mean, maybe, maybe when Marvin fired Terrell Austin, that's when you knew it was, that was, it was bad. Yeah. Um, I, I have, I have a couple answers here. Okay. One to the dysfunctional locker room. I started on top. 2010 is the most dysfunctional locker room 
I was like, man, is this what it's like everywhere? Because <laughs> my it was I had come on at the end of the 09 season, and then ten was my first full season in there every day. You had the Tiocho show, you had you know the Carson thing happening under, and some people knew. You had, you know, I felt like there there was a lot of finger pointing both ways. They found epic ways to lose every week because they all didn't really like each other, and like. T.O. was like demanding that he speak at the podium. And like, it was just, I mean, everything about it was just a mess. And as they lost, it spiraled harder. And then, it, I mean, it was just, it was the most dysfunctional locker room. And I, we've, we've seen some that, that I've ever been around. As far as a, see, a bad season and when you knew, I always go back. There's a couple in, 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 2017, the the Ken Zampezi thing happens at the beginning of the season when after the second game on Thursday Night Football and A.J. goes off, A.J. Green goes off on not throwing to him and not getting him involved. We all knew right then. When A.J. Green does that after a game and they're 0-2 and their offense, remember they, they lost 20 to nothing against Baltimore is the most inept mm. thing you've ever seen. You knew that oh, this is not good. There's going to be firings, and that's just something you can't really... And they, they almost kind of recovered from it for a while when they promoted Bill Lays. And then AJ, was he was so frustrated. He fought Jalen Ramsey that year. Mm-hmm. Perfect was unhinged. He got kicked out of a game. And and you had Obwehi, who was just like a no-try guy at tackle. At one point, Dalton got sacked. I'll never forget it. And, and Cedric Obwehi just stepped over top of Dalton rather than helping him up. Like <laughs> It was... You just those signs when your stars, your guy AJ Perfect at that time, were just in bad places. That's when you know. And in that season, AJ was in a bad place, um, and and that set the tone for everything. I knew that one. Also, the the Dallas game in sixteen, they go down to Dallas and just get run. I mean, they just get beat up. There was no no trying happening at all. And uh, lots of things. And you knew right then this season's over. Sometimes you know early. A lot of times you know early that this season's yeah. over. That was October, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, it was the Dallas game. Yeah, I think they went to. Yeah, it was. It was. It was in October. Um. So yeah. Um. Let's see. We can get a, just. A, we'll wrap it up here. A couple more. Joe at hit it straight. Joe Burrow seems to be growing his hair out. He sure does. To go with the look he had some in college. Run past or boot Joe's next haircut. I can't believe I'm doing this. I hate myself, Jay. (laughs) This is is taking me back to the, uh, is Andy Dalton's hair the reason he's playing better in 15? Remember that? (laughs) He went went with the updo in 15, and we spent like a whole month. Mo had his hairdresser on for a segment. We're not far from that. No. To answer the question, run past your boot. Joe's next haircut happens when? Camp during the season or after the season? Hmm. I'm going to I'm oh, going to run. Us. What's that? I hate us. I hate, I, I hate this. Well, I mean, <laughs> think about who Joe Burrow is. And I think after the season would be the haircut. I could, if they have a great run, I could see him turning it into some sort of charity thing. Where where he raises money for his selling Joe's hair, not selling his hair, but to <laughs> to to 
Get a, you know, how much would you pay for a strand of Joe Burrow's not, hair? Yeah, you want the hair, but to to, to, to pay <laughs> maybe the right to shave it, something like that, like a big kind of uh, auction, like or, Marty Brennan, like Marty Brennan yeah, with the dragonfly, yeah, with the dragonfly, something like that. Um, I'll run with that after the season. Um, I'll pass on You're during training camp. Yes, it's going to stay long until after the season. I mean. If things are going good, you these guys are superstitious. You don't want to you don't want to change. I mean, talk about playoff beards and all that kind of stuff. I know that's other sports, but that's why I I think I would run with or I would pass on before camp, and then I would boot in the middle of the season because unless maybe it's the other way, maybe they start really bad. His hair is getting long, and he he says we need to change. But I I don't I, I think when it's hot in training camp. That the as someone who once had long hair, it can be pretty miserable being in the heat all day with long hair. So maybe he has enough of that in training camp. But I do I, I could see it him waiting till after the season and, and turning it into some sort of money raising event. Jay, I think you need to talk to him about going full mullet. <laughs> Let's go. T- tell him about it. Tell him about the lifestyle. Tell him about, you know, caretaking. Use of don't, products. Yeah, don't don't go for Curling the blonde plumage. highlights via. Yeah, I did. I once had a perm to get the curl in, and I once used peroxide to get the blonde highlights, and that was probably not a good there idea. There you go. But, there you go. But you can tell you know some cautionary yeah, tales. Yes, exactly. I just feel like this is a good place for you to open up <laughs> next time we talk to Burrow, which might be next week. So so make sure you come prepared with that. Uh, <laughs> I, I I would say I want it to go all season. I just want to yeah. see it get out of control. Uh, personally, if that's what we're going to talk about, uh, I would say I'm, but I, I would say most likely can't. How could you? I mean, it's so hot. Yeah. You got the helmet on every day. You have one bad day and you're like, screw this hair, man. This is ridiculous. Cut it back. So that's my, that's my, yeah. And I would also, yeah, boot during the season. Cause I think once you're in it, you're in it. All right. I have, I have one last one that I didn't share with Jay. Cause it came from at Marv 6969. Nice. He said, can we get more Jay solo shows? Hashtag Jay gang. <laughs> love it. And I love it that the person who's on the Jay gang is at Marv 6969. Because that's what you, if you, early days of Twitter and like not having to be a public figure, I think you definitely would have, would have probably involved that, those numbers in there somehow for fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I appreciate it. Uh, but I, I don't want any part, part of that. I, like I said, it was, <laughs> there was a lot of anxiety in trying to plan oh, that and figure it, it out. It was a great show. Jay did a fantastic <laughs> job. I loved it. Uh, hashtag Jay gang. Love it. Let's get it going. Fire up the J gang. Also, a question from our guy Rudy. When's the when's more acid guy? When's when's the acid guy coming on? It's gonna happen. I hear you, Rudy. We're gonna don't worry. We're gonna have an acid story swap coming your way. (laughs) I did. Somebody sent a uh, a video to me of or a meme of just the guy sitting there like the first one in line for something. uh, You know, days in advance, just sitting there on a stoop, saying, "Me waiting." For the Acid Guy show. Can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, all right. Arby's. We'll wrap it up with some Arby's. Jay, do you have any Arby's for me? Uh, yeah. I, I, while I was over there trying to get the picture of uh, of Orlando and, and Cordell, I, it was funny. They, I heard Frank yell, where's the, my center? And they were, they were working on uh, duo blocks. And that I don't know if Ted was in his mid-practice jersey change. For those of you that know, he, he sweats so much, he always changes his, 
his jersey in the middle of practice to a new dry one. And he just he was MIA. So Cordell ran in there and then like Ted came in late and they just pushed Ted out and Cordell snapped the ball. And they did the block. And then Frank asked Sam, the equipment guy, how the snap was. And he said it was great. And they they had Cordell do the the center snaps the rest of that that entire drill. And every time he would step in there, Frank is like, this guy ran track and he's done this. He's, he's naming off all of Cordell's resume. And now he's a backup center. And uh, it was just it was fun to see them joking around in a in a session where they were trying to get some serious work done. And, um, you know, maybe. Something to think about if uh, if something were to happen to Ted that maybe it's not Trey Hill, maybe Cordell would slide over and be the backup center. I love it. You know, uh, I love it. Um, I have one. I, I kind of have two. The first one is so I always keep kind of a log of potential guests to have on at some point, just somebody that maybe a, a topic that's whether it's for the off season or whether it's for in season or before a particular game. And in that list, near the top of it actually, has been Kirk Herbstreet. <laughs> He's a Cincinnati guy. Yep. You know, and next time the Bengals are going on Amazon, I should try to put in some inroads with that. A lot of good topics there. I thought even before the draft, we could talk college. There's a lot of good stuff there. We can't. Kirk Herbstreit's no, no not coming on HTPG anymore. He's gone on he's, he's gone on attack on pretty much two of the strongest people in in all of baseball and good friends of the program. See Trent Rosecrans, Ken Rosenthal, and I was like, I saw all that, and I was like, what's going on here? And you read through it and you see what happens. And I'm on vacation, but I'm like, this is so weird and ill informed and out of nowhere from Herbstreit. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, now I can't have him as a guest. <laughs> Ah, eh, damn it. Cross that one off. Like the sad cross off, you know, um, which I just found as funny. My other one is, I told this fun, I told this story about, you know, in, in the cafeteria, it's, it's like anything. You have certain people come in when they have lunch and, or, or whatever. Usually you, you eat with the same people all the time. The offensive line comes in, they're, they're in there together. They come in at the same time. They'll eat lunch together coaches, ownership, whatever. Some people, obviously, there's popping around and things like that. But for the most part, you do have very much groups because that's just kind of the routine. There's been one person that has broken some of that routine, and I find it really interesting. Rookie punter Brad Robbins is apparently like the most outgoing person in the entire locker room to the point that he's like, he's like apparently just in there sitting at the coach's table with like Zach Taylor and like the other coaches. And I'm like, imagine just, just take for a second. You and your job fresh out of school first month two that you've even been in the building. And you're just like, I think I'm going to go sit with the big bosses today. You know, <laughs> it's just the amount of confidence. Now, I think part of it is he's kind of been attached to the hip with Darren Simmons and trying yeah. to kind of just like stay, but just like, good on you, Brad, you know? And at some point did the coaches turn to each other and say, how come the rookie punters here? Hi, Brad. <laughs> Welcome to the coaches table. You know, like I just, I, I love, I love the idea of, uh, of rookie punter being like, is this seat taken? You know, 
<laughs> well, I mean, Zach's built this whole uh, no culture. They they can't very well just do the the high school pick up the tray and leave when the the new kid sits down and leave him alone. You you got to entertain him. And and Brad is, I mean, he's actually pretty. He's closer to Zach's age than a lot of the younger guys. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's twenty five or gonna yeah, be twenty five and Not born so born in ninety eight. Yeah. So he's and he is a he is a different guy. He's yes. he's fun to talk to. Love and it. Very interesting. Um, so, and I was thinking maybe Trent and Kirk make up at some point and that could be a two on two next summer. Oh boy. Wow. Look at you. That's a aggressive move. That, don't rule out Kirk. I think, I don't know. I'm probably rolling him out. <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect. I think Kirk is incredible at his job. Uh, yeah, he is. Uh, I love but, him. Uh, on, you know, in college football, he's a great job on Amazon. Just very surprising. And don't he's just got to quit taking shots at our colleagues. No question. Um, Unless they're unless they're valid, that's fine. Right. You can't be taking cheap, not valid shots. Uh, all right. So that right. You mentioned two on two, Jay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're very excited. We're bringing two on two back this year. I know we've mentioned it a couple times. We have some of the guests starting to line up yeah. and lock in. And I can tell you, Jay and I, I'll speak for you. Very excited. Yes. Uh, I think it's going to be really fun. You know, we love to delve into relationships. And the relationships that make teams and this team go and that you don't normally think of, that you don't normally see, that are a little outside of the normal conversation and people you normally talk to all the time. Uh, and so I think we have done that this year. And it's going to be great. Looking forward to no- We're knocking them out right now in the background. Um, and so they'll be coming your way as we lead into the season. And our rewatch, excited about our rewatch. Yeah, uh, which we're gonna have a special guest for this year, and uh, really looking forward to that. A lot of fun stuff happening in the background right now for the pod to look forward to. Next week, mandatory mini camp, uh, so we'll have some st- a bunch of stuff coming to you from whatever comes out of that. So and then, then we're kind of uh, we're just peering into a little bit more into the deep off season, run our two on two and rewatch and, and and all that stuff, and, and really looking forward to bringing all that stuff to you. All right, thanks for hanging with us deep into this pod. Uh, appreciate it and uh, we will talk to you next time have a good one everybody